Episode 98 of the Bevan James Isles Show, The Things We Lose. Right here, guys, welcome along to episode 98 of the Bevan James Isles Show, the fitness behavior podcast, uh, the podcast that goes over the behaviors that create a lifetime love of fitness so that you can get all the benefits that go alongside it. I've got to say, it's a pretty exciting time, team, because this week I'm getting married on February the 11th, 2017, because some people will be listening to this obviously in the future. I'll be getting married this Saturday, and um, it's funny, I've been, well, I got an email from someone, I can't remember who sent it through, but they're asking. In a kind of a serious way, what was it that took me so long to get to this point with marriage? And if you don't know, I've been with Joe for nearly nine years. So I've been with Joe for a long time now, and uh, it took me about eight years to get engaged. And uh, but now it's happening. And so, it, 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 to be honest, it's it's partly the way you brought up. My family, and my parents are married and are still together, but not that that really means anything. <laughs> but at the same time, my parents never really pushed a philosophy on me. It's it's interesting as as I think about how my parents brought me up. You know, I wasn't brought up religious in any way, shape, or form. Um, I wasn't really brought up with kind of being told the path that I should follow in life. And in some ways, it's probably a great thing. And then in other ways, maybe there, you know, it could have been times where they could have done that more. And, you know, it's funny as a parent, I'm sure all the parents listening to the show right now, you know, you kind of look back on your parenting time and you almost have to look back upon yourself with a bit of understanding of forgiveness with yourself because. You know, we say we do the best that we can, and I don't know if that's even true. Yeah, I think we try our best, and, and we don't always do our best as parents, because parenting is a very challenging thing to do. But my, my parents, you know, the thing I got from them was that I was loved. And to me, that's one of the most important things you can gain from your parents, is this kind of understanding that you'll always be loved and accepted for who you are. But they weren't the kind of parents who would tell me, here's what you need to be doing with your life. And, uh, and so... Just the idea of marriage was never something that was really on my mind. And when I think about the relationship I have with Joe, we have an amazing relationship. We have a great life together. You know, like there's no reason why I wouldn't have thought of it other than I'm just not the kind of guy to think about it. And then, uh, and and also my partner Joe, she's she never pushed it. Like she never pushed it. She never pushed the idea of getting married. So this kind of you know, so just kind of we went along with our life and we, and we built a life for which is everything. But but then about. Oh, about a year and a half ago, I thought to myself, no, I, I should probably marry this woman I love. So uh, that's that's really the gist of it. Uh, today's show, I'm going to go into an area that I'm not much of an expert in, but I'm going to share my thoughts in it. Uh, based on a conversation I had with a friend, I went out for lunch with, or actually breakfast with a friend of mine while I was up in Auckland a couple of weeks ago. And we had, um, yeah, we just had a really good conversation. And I asked him some couple of cool questions and his, his answers opened me up because, you know, just gave me some insight, and then with that insight, I've been doing some thinking around it, and I thought I'd want to share some of that with you guys today. But before we do that, I want to talk about another little subject that's on my mind right now, and it was based on an experience that I had last week. I was up in Auckland for Les Mills, and Les Mills is a big international fitness company, and I was doing some filming work for their Body, body Attack program. And Body Attack has a program director. So uh, for those who know nothing about Les Mills, which I'm sure is most of you, they, they create these kind of fitness workouts that go all around the world. And luckily for me, I get to represent the business and these workouts at the highest level. 
But above me, there's kind of one step above what I do, and that is the person who creates those workouts. And in the Body of Tech program, it's a lady by the name of Lisa Osborne. And Lisa Osborne, I was hoping to get her on the show, and it's one of those things where it's always hard to get our coordination together. But anyway, once I will. Lisa Osborne is an amazing woman. She, um, what she creates with fitness and her understanding around what creates a great fitness workout is pretty phenomenal I've worked with this woman for about 15 years and to see how she kind of understands what's happening in the industry and then to create a product that really appeals to the market right now and and also how to train other fitness professionals on what's really important in the workout is is, is something I really admire with her because she's just kind of continually evolved in what she does but then outside of that Lisa's always been this really high-end fitness person and um, she's won World Group Fitness or Aerobics Championships back in the day. She's currently one of the top, uh, well, most competitive CrossFit athletes for her age group in the world right now, not just like locally in the world. Like, I think she's aiming to do the CrossFit Games this year, and she would be someone who would be talked about to win the CrossFit Games. Now, in any competition, there's, you know, probably five to ten people who are in that conversation. If she wins it, will be seem to be, but you know, fingers crossed she can. But you know, just the fact she's in that conversation kind of shows the level of person we're dealing with here. She is someone who knows exercise to just like the highest level and, and how to push yourself to the max. Like anyone who can achieve a world championship level in any sporting endeavor is phenomenal. Like they really are. Now, sure, some sports are more popular and some sports are sometimes, like it's funny, my ex-partner, she was a previous Dutch national synchronized swimmer. And it was really funny because synchronized swimming is one of those sports which gets a bit of a hard time in, you know, when the Olympics are on. It's it's the easy sport to pick on, if you know what I mean. But my partner, Annalise, her name was, she did synchronized swimming and then she came to New Zealand and this is after her synchronized swimming career and picked up cycling and within about five months of picking up cycling had instantly or made New Zealand representative cycling team. And it just kind of showed the level of someone of synchronized swimming when you cross them over to a completely different sport, but they were just tough at what they were doing. And, you know, so while we can sometimes almost look down on certain sports or think that they aren't great or, you know, that they're not as good as this other sport, to me, anybody who can be a world championship or world champion in, in a sport, and even at age group level, you know, Masters Games or age group level, it, it's, they're a pretty phenomenal person, and Lisa is definitely one of those people. But it's been interesting, I've worked with Lisa for years now, I've, you know, I have these kind of moments with her, kind of a week or two every couple, maybe two or three times a year for the last, oh, probably 15 years. And it was really interesting, I was watching Lisa the other day, and right now she's getting ready for a CrossFit Games, but at the same time we're doing our filming for Body Attack, which is obviously every three months that, that week for her leading up to the filming is, is pretty high priority for her. And it was really interesting as I was watching Lisa in this week, because one thing I was discovering is, it's well, one thing I was observing, and maybe this is something you can think about in your life is when you look at other people, is how Lisa prioritizes her life. And this idea of how do you prioritize your life is a really interesting thing to explore and to look for in other people. Because often when we think about how I prioritize my life, we, we say we prioritize it based on these things, don't we? we? You know, like if I were to ask you right now, how do you prioritize your life? Well, what you say and what you do 
maybe two different things. And often what people will say is their dream idea of how they prioritize their life. But what they actually do may be completely different to that. So you might say, well, I prioritize my health and I prioritize my exercise and I prioritize my time with my family and so on and so on. But if we were to do a time audit of your week, does it really represent that? And while, while I'm talking about this, or why am I talking about this? Well, when I was with Lisa, Lisa needed a haircut, and this has nothing to do with anything, but Lisa, you know, it was obvious she needed a haircut, but Lisa's not the kind of person who prioritises her kind of, her image at the top of her level. Now, she's someone, you know, she's a woman who cares about her image, and she wants to look presentable, but on her list of priorities of what's important in life, that's kind of fifth down the, down the scale, whereas a lot of people who do care about their image a lot, that you know, they would never let their, get their hair to a point where maybe they were four weeks after a haircut that they really needed four weeks ago. That would never happen. Their, their first priority would be my image first. And it was really interesting as I kind of looked at Lisa's haircut and I said, oh, it's really interesting watching what Lisa prioritizes. It's kind of family and career is first and family, career and sport seems to come first. And then her kind of level of me looking after my image, it's important, but it's going to come lower down that ladder. And, and, I, and I talked to her about it, I said, oh, it's, you know, I was just saying I made this observation, and she was like, yeah, like I like to look good, but at the same time, you know, I've got these other things I'm prioritizing more in my life. And I was just kind of thinking about this in regards to you guys, you know, you know what I believe in and the kind of stuff that I love to promote in the show. And, and I think it's a good little project for you to think about what you prioritize. You know, and, and to maybe do that kind of audit that I talked about just then, that whole idea of, what does the evidence of my life show me that I prioritize? Because I might say that I prioritize exercise. But actually, my evidence shows me that when I get busy, the first thing that gets dropped is my exercise. And you often find that people who, you know, the one thing I love to promote is this kind of a healthy life, not a healthy moment in life. And, you know, the, the example of that is the person who might do some 12-week challenge and achieve a goal but then ultimately just slip back to where they started. But to me, a healthy life is something that you know you'll have forever. Like for me, I think I'm pretty 100% sure unless something dramatic happens to my health, I'm going to be leading a healthy life for the rest of life. That's, and when I say healthy life, you know, kind of basic healthy eating habits, movement, um, stress levels, sleep, you know, those kind of, those core things that allow us to, you know, good social interactions, those core things that allow us to stay within a good place, both physically and mentally in our life. And often when you see the person who is that person, you know, not just the 12 week kind of done well and fallen back person, but the person, like imagine right now if you might be one of those people and you're probably patting yourself on the back, or if you aren't one of those people and you may be a bit more on a roller coaster ride of how to be a healthy you, I'm sure you could probably identify one person in your life who you kind of deep down know they're going to be a healthy person their whole life. And one of the things that I can almost guarantee that these people do is that it put a, prior, a priority, a priority, a priority on, on their health. So they, they put that at the forefront of the decisions that they make in their day. And I, and I think about myself, like as someone who, you know, I, I, again, I think I'm going to be someone who leads a healthy life for the majority of my life. My day is based around that, prior, you know, prioritization of my 
my energy and my time. Like when I wake up, the first thing I think is when am I going to do my exercise? Or when am I going to do my meditation? When am I going to do my stress release kind of things? And then from there, I can be a much more higher functioning person. And so I suppose for those who are listening to this and deep down know you aren't prioritizing your own time for health, how do you do that? You know, how do you become a person who does prioritize what's really important? And maybe it's just that kind of audit of what I have, you know, again, so if I go back and I say, well, what do you think you prioritize, but what actually do you prioritize? And then if you create a really real assessment of that, then how do I shift my prioritization around what is really important? So just some stuff to think about there. And it was just interesting with Lisa, like, again, she likes to look nice. But it's not the most important thing. And actually, I'm not saying getting hair done when it needs to be done is a bad thing, but it's just a, it was a really interesting observation from Lisa there. So hopefully there's something there in there for you. Anyway, I'm going to get into the main gist of today's show, but I do have a couple of patrons. If you want to become a patron of the show, you can go to bevanjamesisles.com and there's a link on there to my Patreon page. And you can just go on there. And just basically what happens is each time I release a show, You'll just donate whatever amount you want to to that show each time. Basically two times a month because that's when I release the show. And I have had two new patrons this month. And first one is Ruth Newstub. And Ruth Newstub. Ruth. Ruth. Okay. Hopefully I haven't done this one before because I think this is a gold one. Let me have a look. Wait. I'm going to do, I'm going to do a bit of a search because I keep a bit of a list of the people on fire. Have I got it? Have I got it? No. Okay. Ruth. You are on fire. Because the roof is on fire. There we go. I love that one. Hopefully you do too, Roof. So roof on fire. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Um, and then George Street. George Street's a cool name because it almost sounds like it's, you know, George Street. You know, it's, So I'm going to call you Monopoly Man. Because on Monopoly, you often have to get the best streets, don't you? So you are my Monopoly man. I'm just writing it down. Man, Monopoly man, George Street. And that basically means he is the best street on the board. Guys, the patrons of the show mean so much to what I do because they help to support me in doing this thing that I do. So if you are a patron, and some of us are, Karina Hirschman, she's lifting higher. We've got Rosa Scott. A deeper level. We've got Scott McMillan, that's Lead Belly. We've got Charlotte Bell, Music to the World. And we've got Raoul Bronco, and that's Street Fighter. Those are some of the patrons as well. So if you want to be a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com and it's all pretty simple from there. Anyway, team, I'm going to put some music on and we're going to get into the main gist of today's show. I value in life and, and, and maybe I don't do enough of but I think I something I'm aiming to do more of in this next moment in my life is sitting down with somebody and just getting deep in conversation you know there's kind of different levels of social in your life isn't there like funny I went to a wedding last weekend of a good friend of mine called Scotty and it was just one of those really kind of one of those nights where we didn't really have deep conversation with anyone. It was more of this shared experience of having fun and celebrating. So, you know, around the dinner table when you're having the dinner, you might be kind of catching up with people and you might have a little bit of DNM, deep and meaningful. But generally speaking, that night was almost like a, a, having a shared experience together. And so then when we all got on a dance floor, we we're rocking up, taking, you know, photos as you do now and having this kind of fun experience that it kind of goes into our 
uh, uh, probably our, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Kind of looking for our, our memory box of experiences. So in the future, the people who are at Scotty's wedding, we kind of have that memory of that night. And we have the laughs and we might tell the stories of that night. And those types of social interactions are a really important part of life because they often, they bring kind of many kind of fun emotions to our life. And, and funny, when I think about exercise, that's what I'm always trying to create in the experiences that people have with my workout is that I want them to have this experience where when they connect with other people with exercise, they kind of have this shared thing that we've done together. Now, sometimes that can come from intensity. If you think of something like a CrossFit or a HITS workout like Grits, a Les Mills' Grit or, you know, those the really intense workouts that are happening right now in, in the kind of the industry, a lot of the, the value of that is just that I've done this with somebody else and we both know what it's like to have done that workout. It doesn't, you know, we might talk, go back in a few you know, months later and talk about, oh, remember that time we did that session? So there's kind of those kind of social interactions that we have. And, and as a fitness professional, you're looking to, not always just around the intensity of the workout, but also just some fun shared experiences or some connection through the workouts. It's something that if you can add that to the design of fitness products, they are going to be more successful in helping people be successful in fitness products. And then there's other type of, type of you know, kind of crew or, or, or connection experiences that you have or social interactions that you have in your life. And these can include things like when you actually do a project with somebody, it might be, you know, I've got my friend Dave and my band and we make we make music and we often do a bit of gossip as well, but, you know, we do these kind of creative endeavors and so on. But one of the, the most valuable social interactions you can have in your life is the deep and meaningful. And that's where... You know, it doesn't have to be just with one person, but either with one person or with a group of people, you, you dig deep. And you dig deep, really deep, in a way that's honest, real, in a way that's not trying to put out a persona that of what, the, what you want the world to see you as, but in a way that's just two people or more people connecting in honesty and allowing this conversation to be an exploration of self and each other where both of you walk away from it with a deeper sense of life i suppose and uh, i i really value those those interactions i have in my life and to be honest it's something i want to have more in my life as i move forward in my time and uh this year it's something i'm aiming to kind of slot you know kind of deliberately slot and i remember a while ago i listened to the podcast I can't remember the name of the guy, but he's a, he he was one of the producers or persons who people who started um, Everyone Loves Raymond, which is a comedy show which I'm sure many of you have heard of. And he, he's made all his money now. He's a very wealthy man. And but basically, I'm pretty sure it was this guy. He said that every week of his life, he goes out for lunch with somebody new, and all types of people. It's not just you know just somebody new in his circle of friends. Every week he goes out for lunch with somebody new. And I thought wow, what a wicked idea to do. And so it, I haven't reached that level, but I, I aspire to something like that because I think that's such a... Imagine how rich your life would be if each week you went out for lunch with somebody and also from all different walks of life. As I talk about this, I'm, I'm kind of going totally left field here, but I also saw another kind of YouTube clip the other day, which really I loved. It was this... I don't know, it was probably some advertisement, but basically what they did, it was somewhere in Norway, and they got... Groups of people, and when you think of groups of people, the, the stereotypes of each people, so they've got a, like a group of guys who look like they're in, 
a biker gang. They got a group of nurses, you know, dressed up in a nurse's uniform. They got a dress of hipster, you know, middle-aged or young youth kind of people. They got a mix of um, builders, you know. So, th- so they got a mix of these groups of people, sports people and so on and so on. And they put them in this room and they put them inside these boxes, you know, these boxes that were taped out along the ground. And one of the, so they put them in the room and you could tell that as the people came in the room, there was this kind of, the judgment of the stereotype happening. Like, as these people who were sitting in these boxes and looking at all the other people in the boxes, you could see how we instantly just put these stereotypes on top of the labels that we see for these people in the boxes. So if I were to say to you right now, what is a biker? What does it mean to be a biker? Or if I were to say to you right now, what would it mean for somebody to be a druggie? Or if I were to say to you right now, what would it mean for somebody to be a sports person? And if I were to say to you right now, what does it mean for someone to be a school teacher? And and you can see as I throw those questions at you that we kind of have these labels, boxes that we that we instantly put on somebody when we're in this place. Well, what they did in this uh, this kind of YouTube clip which I thought was really fantastic, is once they got everybody in the boxes, they then started asking some questions. Questions like, who has money stress right now? And basically anybody who was in any of the boxes would have to walk to the front of the room. And really what happened was, is basically the more questions they asked, the more they realised that no matter what box you were in, we all kind of go through the same stuff in life. And there was this kind of, there's some really kind of special moments in it where Ultimately, this group of people who walked into a room and started to kind of stereotype each other had a deeper understanding that, you know what, we're, you know, we might look different and we might be sitting in different boxes, but we're, we're all kind of the same. And this is something I've been working on within myself recently is, is how do I look at my world? And, you know, sometimes we go to the labels, but I've been working on, like I saw a guy running this morning and, you know, he maybe not fit the label of the runner, but I looked at him, I thought, oh man, he, he must be feeling these feelings of what it's like when you're running. He had his iPod on, so I thought he must be feeling alive because he's running right now. So what's a healthier way to look at the world? If I step back into where I'm meant to be going with this, that's that's kind of when I have these conversations with the different people in my world, that allows a greater acceptance of self, a greater understanding of the world, and so on and so on. So I ultimately, I suppose, where I'm trying to go with this bit here is that I think there is value in the deep and meaningful conversation in my life. And I actually think it's something we should be prioritising, as I talked about earlier on the show, because it's that comes the thing that can often be dropped when we are busy in, in busy lives. So I was up in Auckland doing my, my Les Mills work a couple of weeks ago, well, last week, and one of my good friends who I've worked with for a long time within Les Mills is a guy called Dr. Dave. And Dr. Dave is this guy who's, mm, must be around 50, um, he's a doctor, hence Dr. Dave, um, just a pretty lovely man, you know, him and I have done a lot of work together over the years and had fun experiences and have always connected on that higher level. And so we were trying to coordinate catching up for breakfast and it didn't look like it was going to happen. Then on my last day there, I managed to kind of find an hour, and we went to this, I've got to say, I can't remember the name of the place, but it's the best cafe I've ever been to in my life, the service was unbelievable, the food was amazing, and the company was great as well, and Dave and I just got, we just got deep, we just got into the DMs. we just started talking deep, because that's kind of how we roll, and, you know, Dave, I'm coming up 40, Dave's coming up 50, and um, we might be over 50, he's, he's around that age, and I just kind of, you know, I was kind of curious to see what the 40s and, you know, what going into the 50s meant for him in life. And and he said something that was really interesting to me. 
he said to me, I, you know, when I asked him, what does it mean to be going to your 50s? And he said, well, ultimately, it means you start to lose things. And we didn't really go deep into what exactly were the things you were losing because I kind of, I think I got what he meant. Like there was a loss of things from the past, there's maybe loss of, well I suppose maybe I'll leave that up to you. But when you think about, you start to lose things because you're at a different age in your life. It was a really fascinating answer which really kind of got me thinking, you know, as I get older... I'm going to lose things. And he didn't say it in a way that was like, and that sucks. It wasn't like you lose things and life is terrible because of it. It was more learning the acceptance of losing things. You know, and I suppose as you listen to this, you know, this audience is pretty big and so different people are going to get different things and are at different stages in their life. But to me, that's just such a fascinating thing to be aware of that, in my next period of my life, I'm coming up 40, so I'm only 10 years until I hit 50, I may be experiencing that kind of, I'm going to lose things. And the really nice thing I got from my conversation with Dave was that he seems to have become really good at accepting that and allowing his energy to move towards better things in his life. So that while I may be losing things right now, that doesn't mean that my life is bad. If anything, it's just learning the way to deal with this this loss and to then move forward in life in a way that is still, you know, the best experience that I can have. And this got me thinking because, you know, often this show, you know, I, I promote change, don't I? Everything I do in the show is kind of about helping you guys get better, you know, to get better at being you. And I tried off tools and all the rest of it. And this, this kind of got me thinking because ultimately if I'm losing things, one aspect of my life I need to deal with is change. You know, because if, if there's a loss of something, something's going to change, isn't it? And and often I imagine most people who listen to a show like the Bevan James Isles show are people who are probably a bit more self-directed around change, aren't you? You're probably someone who seeks changing in life. But, but change is such a big part of life. Change is, you know, so, you know, and it's just, it's life, isn't it? Life is changing. And often many people get to a point where they resist change and they're trying to hold on to the comfort thing that's held them in, you know, where they are right now. But ultimately, there's kind of, the way I'm going to frame it today is there's two types of change. There's the change that I seek. I want to improve. I want to change an aspect of my life. And so I'm going to seek change here. But the other type of changes that I think about is change that I did not self-direct or that I maybe didn't even want. So it might be that I lost my job or there's a change in my career. It could be a loss of relationship. It could just be that the thing that I did in the past can no longer be done. You know, and ultimately, if we go back to Dave's message of as I've aged, I've just realized that I'm losing things now. Well, Dave's had to become really great at change. So then I kind of thought about, well, for today's show, and this isn't an area that I'm an expert in, but I kind of just did some reading on the best ways to deal with change. And, and to be honest, the one article that seemed to really tick a box for me was one with dealing with loss and pain. So this is maybe more towards losing somebody or, um, you know, like grieving. So, you know, but I think ultimately there is some really, really good insight and in some of the tips that I'm going to share with you here right now. And so ultimately, where am I going? What I want you to think about is change is life. 
And the way I respond to change can either make my life an experience that's less enjoyable, or it can make an experience that deepens my, you know, deepens my understanding of life, which allows me to live a more fulfilling life tomorrow. And for a lot of people, change, you know, they just resist change in a way that actually holds them back in life. And so I wanted to kind of, kind of talk through some tools that you can do. If you know you are somebody who resists change, well, then maybe this is something you can think about. So first of all, in this article here, I can't remember where I got it from, but basically, first of all, facing the loss is a really important part of dealing with change. And if, if I think about Dave right now, you know, like it's interesting, I think about myself right now in my career, I've worked for Les Mills for, jeepers, nearly 20 years, so for a long time, and I've always known it's a young man's game, and um, change is coming up for me in my career in that moment you know, that soon because I'm just kind of getting past my use by date. And, you know, so I have to face the loss of that change. I have to face the loss of some of the travel experience, some of the connections and friendships that I would have developed on those experiences. I'm going to have to face the loss of my ego and letting go of, you know, people seeing me at a certain level. There's kind of all these losses that I'm going to have to deal with in this moment of change coming up in my life. But I think what we want to understand is if we can put the time aside to actually see what that loss is, then we can kind of find ways to deal with this. And now, again, this one here is, again, it's for grieving, but I kind of like this as letting your pain out. And I'm going to define that in a different kind of light. I'm going to call that as in allowing myself to process the change I am going through. So, so kind of one is facing the loss, and I suppose awareness of the change that I'm going to go through is a really important thing to think about. But then allowing a space to process the change that I'm going through. You know, for me, I'm just going to use this Lesmos experience because it's kind of a good one for me to talk about. Um, for me, it's to be able to go, okay, well, my time is nearly up. I need to be able to process this. So instead of trying to hold on or just neglect it, or try to grip onto something that can no longer be gripped onto, I'm much better off to kind of just go through my process of, okay, well, how do I let this out? How do I let go of the things that maybe still want to tie me into this? And it might be a bit of reflection about the experience that I gained in the past, or so all those good things. It might be allowing me to see the opportunity of the future, but it's just allowing the time to process the change. And it's, it's a really important aspect of that, to put the time aside and just go, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna process this. I'm just gonna sit down and think about, okay, well, what does this mean going forward? Then another tip that they have here is this idea of sharing your feelings with others. And that's what was kind of cool with my Dave Dave conversation with Dave was that we we you know, like I'm not sure what he took away from the conversation, but just basically those deep and meaningful conversations I just talked about before. There's something about them that help us figure stuff out. You know what it's like when you've had something really hard happen in your life and then you actually sit down and you kind of just share what you're going through with somebody else, especially the right person. It's an important thing to put in here with the right person. If you allow yourself to have that time with the right person, the kind of person who shows understanding, compassion, um, you know, will, will help you move forward, then if you can do well with that, there's just something that works. Not, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something that helps you work through that processing and it helps you get to a place that's a healthier format. On that front, I would just say, be careful in who you choose when it comes to opening up because there's a level of person you need to be able to trust, you need to feel compassion in, uh, and so on and so on. So just 
choose great people. Don't choose people who you, who you doubt have the ability to be able to be great. And you can look back to the people in the past who have you been deep and meaningful with. Harbour no regrets. At time of change, you can't change your past. You know, so you can look back on, like my great example is my Ironman experience. If you've listened to this show for a long time, you know that's the case. But when I gave up Ironman, I never got the goal that I hoped to achieve. And, you know, I really want to go sub nine in Ironman, but I never got to sub nine. You know, I got 9.05, which is so close. And, I could, you know, I was close, but I didn't get there. And in that time of change when I knew it was time to move on from Ironman, I could have always looked back on Ironman with this kind of regret of not being good enough at the sport, the regret of the things that I didn't do. But when I look back on that time now, sure, I would have loved to have got my nine-hour Ironman, but it just wasn't meant to be. But what I gained was ten times, you know, a thousand times more valuable than the fact that I didn't get that five minutes. So when we move on from a shifting time in our life, try to remove regrets, you know, try to remove guilt, try to remove... You know, those the, the, the what-ifs that, that may have been a part of your experience because they're just not going to help us moving forward. If anything, what we can do to look for regrets is we can think about what we can learn from the mistakes that we made from the past as we move into move, you know, move forward. That's the thing to think about. I'm actually going a bit of script here. I'm going to kind of go through some other things here. So for just this kind of me kind of thinking about the subject right now, but but ultimately to shift my perspective on how I see change in moments where I go through change. So we've kind of talked a little bit about it, you know, accepting, understand I'm going through change, kind of dealing with the change, using people to help you and getting the right people around you, kind of looking back on that time when I was doing that thing without regret and looking to learn. But then I think about the perspective that I can have so I can be as successful as possible moving through this next moment. Because a lot of people, when they get, particularly if you get force change that was not your own choice so let's say you you know you're mid-40s and you lose your career that's a scary moment isn't it and so when you think about that you can definitely think about what you've lost all the time and so your perspective is on on what's behind you or what can't work for you but really what we want to do is we want to use the perspective of this being an opportunity so we want to be able to direct our energy towards what opportunities this creates in my life and while they may be different, maybe what the path you'd set out in the long term, if we can look at change moments as moments of opportunity, then it's a much more exciting path to move forward as we go forward in life. And so if I, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of an example from my own life, you know, where change was kind of forced upon me. I can't actually remember one right now, but ultimately I hope that in that moment when those, those change moments, particularly when they aren't self-guided, get put upon me, that I have the ability to go, do you know what? This isn't what I wanted, but there's an opportunity in here for me to get a richer life through this experience. And this is such an important step. And then I suppose the next step would be then, what are the actions and what, where I want to direct my energy moving forward? Because for a lot of people in those changed times, most of their energy goes back to what I'm losing and what I'm missing out on. Instead of, you know, that what perspective should I have towards the opportunity that I can create? And then how do I put my energy towards this? Actually, great example. So Donald James, the explorer, he's, he's one of the big fans of the show. And he, he, he just actually emailed me this morning. And I'm sure Donald, Donald's pretty open. And he, I'm sure he won't mind me kind of communicating this with you guys. But he's been in NASA for his whole life. 
and um, you know he's just been forced into a massive change. I don't know, forced is a word, but he's just going to retire. And you know, for someone, I think he was saying he's been at massive for like twenty something years. Like you know, for a long time, his whole career has been about NASA. And this is a massive change moment in his life. And when you think about that once, you know, if you've worked in a career that you loved, you know, it wasn't that Donald was in a career that he didn't love, he, he was passionate about this thing he was doing, then suddenly that's gone. 35 years, there you go, I've got the email in front of me now, 35 years, he goes, uh, uh, on March 31st, after 35 years of being in the coolest organisation in the world, so he's going he's to retire from NASA after 35 years. Now, can you imagine the change Donald is about to go through? Like, that is massive. Now, I'm not sure if it's been forced or not, but, you know, he's of retirement age, so maybe it hasn't been. But but at the same time, he's going to go through a lot of change. And in this moment, he needs some time to process the change, and he needs some time to kind of communicate and just kind of talk with those around him to kind of work out the best path forward. But ultimately, Donald should be using this as an opportunity. Because when you've gone away from the coolest organisation in the world, you're letting go of a lot. And it's understandable that we would look back and go, oh, yeah, look at everything I'm missing out on. But if that's how you're going to live your life, the future may be a bit bleak. Whereas if Donald is to go, you know what, this is the moment where now I get an opportunity to do these other things. And I'm not sure what that would be for Donald, but that's ultimately the perspective he wants to have in this moment, that this is just a chance for me to deepen my my experience in life in ways that I never thought possible. And when we get change moments, ultimately I think that's probably the most important step, is keep putting your energy back to the opportunity this creates. If you can do that well, well then you, you want to develop an action plan. So what's my plan to get me there? And this is often the biggest mistake people do is that they don't do a plan. So when the change happens, they might know that they need to create opportunities, but they don't actually take the steps. And so then, like it's funny, I, I had a friend of mine who invested very well, very young, and retired at like 45. And because he didn't actually like his career, he, you know, he made his money, he didn't actually like his career, so he decided he wanted to retire. And he retired, and then about eight months later, he went back to his career. And I was like, well, why are you going back? I thought you hated your career. And I was like, yeah, I just, I, I had nothing to do with my time. I had too much time, and I was just bored. And it was really interesting. He had created a moment of change in his life, but because he didn't create a plan and see this as an opportunity to develop himself in ways that he thought ultimately would make his life better, he looked back to his past, and he ultimately stepped back to his past and ended up in the same place he was, which was kind of dissatisfied. And you need to make sure that once you think about the opportunities you have in front of you, that you actually create the opportunity. So you do the plan and, and the work around this. Now, that will mean there's a lot of change in other areas of your life because, you know, any change will have a kind of a trickle-down effect, won't it? Like if you lose your job, or well, let's think about Donald. Oh, Donald, I'm talking about you right now. <laughs> but if we think about Donald right now, he's got a routine. He gets up in the morning. He does a certain behavior in the morning, a morning routine that he does, drives to work a certain way, probably listens to his favorite podcast on the way, has his exercise routine. Well, in March the 31st, that all stops. So in that moment of change, he wants to create an opportunity to develop the things he wants to move forward to in life, and he needs to create a plan. But there's all these other flowing things, like what time is he going to get out of bed in the morning now? What time does he do his exercise in his day? 
Like he's going through so much change at the same time. And if he wants to be really successful in this, he wants to be purposeful in the way he creates the new way he's going to be living his life. And I've talked about this in the past, that kind of Charles Duhigg kind of be consciously aware of the actions I want to take my change time. And now Donald's is a big example. Retirement is a massive change moment in anybody's life. But, you know, even if it's just small change for you, what are going to be those plans that you need to put in place to make sure that I'm successful in the thing I'm doing now or the, the opportunity I'm trying to move towards, but also that I'm setting up the trickle down of that as well. And then ultimately do the work. You know, if you do the work in this area, then in the long term, that you know, you, you'll be successful moving forward. And and this is where the real value comes for me. Because for me, you need to accept life is going to be about change. But what is your experience of change in life going to be? Because if your experience of change in life means my life sucks, you're always going to resist change, which basically means you're going to be a person who doesn't really grow and will probably always live longing for yesterday. And to me, that's that's not the best use of your life. Whereas if you're somebody who looks at life and goes, I understand change as a part of my life. And I know how to deal with change in a way where even if it's forced upon me in ways I didn't like, I will end up in a better place for this. And actually, I'm not afraid to seek change moving forward. Because there's so many people in life who are, are trapped in lives they don't like, but they're so afraid to change. Whereas if you can learn to be someone who deals with change in a really great way, then when you get to those moments where you know something isn't working for you, you can just change because you know what? History has taught me I'm good at change. And and ultimately, I imagine the person who's really great at change and can deal with it in really good ways probably never gets to the place where they're really dissatisfied because they know to change earlier. And I suppose that's my challenge to you is how do you become great at change in your life? And if you're thinking about what I'm talking about right now, maybe you can choose an area where you want to change right now. Like it's interesting, one area, I, I may, I, I never know what I've talked about on this show, but one of the things I'm aiming to do this year is work less. You know, I, I've, I've got into a bit of a habit in this last period of my life of filling up my hours with work. And it's easy to do for someone like me because I love my work. But actually, I, I don't need to work as much as I'm working. And... I want to bring some other aspects into my life, like catching up with deeper meaningfuls of people every week. And so the thing, the change I'm aiming for to do this year is less time working, more time in other areas of my life. And to do that, I need to kind of think about these things, you know, like what do I have to let go of? How do I process this change? What are the fears I have to overcome to get this change? And so on and so on. And then I need to create a plan that allows me to do this. And I've been doing this in the background. And hopefully by the end of this year in 2017, you'll hear me talk about how I managed to pull back on my hours and add other aspects to my life. And that's really, for me, that's what I want to be doing. But for you, what is that? For you, what is the change that you could maybe work on that allows you to develop your ability to see yourself as somebody who's can cope with change and actually allow yourself to see that my life is going to be a richer thing because I always put change in place. Like imagine if you could change the biggest thing in your life that you feel holds you back. What does it mean for your life? Like seriously, what does it mean for your life if you shifted the biggest area of your life that you maybe didn't think you could change? Now if you can start in a small way and just 
develop this kind of change approach in your life, eventually you're going to hit that big mark. And I know when I do my coaching, often, you know, I've had clients who've had some big things to work on. And I'm like, yeah, well, let's not do that yet. We're going to develop you before we kind of hit the big thing. But over time, we develop them. And then, then we get to the big thing and they just nail it out of the park. And that's, I suppose, what I'm encouraging you to do. So to wrap it up, ultimately, I suppose, my, my conversation with Dave really taught me that loss is a part of life. And it's, you know, as you age, it's maybe something you experience more of. And when we say loss, it's not the obvious, just the loss of people, which, you know, obviously, for nearly all of us, that's going to be a part of the experience. But, but also just loss in all areas of life. And to accept this is a part of our journey and to understand that our job is to learn how to deal with this in a way that actually enriches and moves us forward in a way so we gain deeper wisdom in our path. But to do that, we need to develop a kind of a skill set around that. And some of the ideas I've come up with today may help. I'm not sure if they're that good, but, you know, work on developing how I change and then looking at change as an opportunity for me to kind of grow and then do the work. And if you can do that, Again, you work on bigger change and what does it mean for your life? And ultimately, as I said before, as I've said every time on the show, you'll become a better version of yourself. Right, team, so that's pretty much today's show done and dusted. So I've got to say, if you want to become a patron of the show, you go to bevanjamesisles.com. And uh, yeah, it's all pretty obvious on there. Just for those people who are patrons, you're rock stars in my eyes. Um, I just feel privileged that you would support me in what I do. Uh, the fact that you would just go, you know what, I want to support Bevan because I think this is important work or, you know, it just means a lot to me. So thank you to everybody who's a patron of the show. Um, my wedding week, it's, it's funny, it's, um, it's funny, you know, like I'm getting older, you, you guys are getting the older Bevan now, I'm coming up 40, not that I feel old, but, you know, like, you, you know, it's funny how you kind of understand a few things now, how this is, I was speaking to someone at the wedding the other night and just saying how this is our time, you know, this is our time where the weddings are happening in our life, so I had a wedding last week, I've had like six weddings in the last moment of my life, and, and there's kind of, these are these series of events that happen in life. And um, yeah, yeah, this this is one for me. And it's a big one and I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm going to quickly touch on something else. You know me, I can waffle. How do you be the person who allows others to be themselves? How do you be the person who allows others to be themselves? I got, I got to, while I was in Auckland, I got to hang out with a great bunch of people. Um, we met, we did this video I've talked about a lot today, and I had a guy called Ben, Jeremiah, Lisa, myself, and a lady called Nikki from America. And um, it was funny, because coming into it, we had a guy called Jeremiah, who's one of Les Mills' top instructors, and Nikki, and we weren't sure, you know, the program I teach is very much about personality, and, and these guys, we weren't sure if they had the right personality for the program. Not the, not the right personality, because they're, they're lovely people, but if they were willing to let go in the moment when they're on stage, and and we're really clear about communicating that. To my first conversation, because I was coaching the team, I was just kind of saying, you know, here's what we were aiming for, and man, these guys were phenomenal. Instantly, they showed versions of themselves that we'd never seen before. And uh, the, the lady called Nikki, uh, who's quite a successful, well-known fitness professional, she, her and I, 
you know, we're, we're both clowns, basically. She's just a clown. Um, and her and I just kind of triggered each other, just clowned them within each other. And I remember just, you know, like, we'd because you, when you're doing this work, you're practicing, and so you're often practicing in front of mirrors, and you, the team's practicing. And her and I were pretty much just like two five-year-old kids trying to make each other, you know, like, remember when you are a kid, I don't know if you had brothers or sisters, but when you're at the dinner table and the parents are there and, and you're trying to make your, your siblings laugh, or or at least that's what I was trying to do. And that was kind of like what Nikki and I were like the whole time. And she sent me a lovely email after the fact, just kind of saying, you allowed me to bring out my goofball. And 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 she allowed me, like this is a this is a two-way thing that happened because I was definitely going there with her as well. And I kind of it just got me thinking about how do you be a how do you be a person that allows others to be themselves? You know, because Nikki ultimately is a goofball. You know, she's there's many other layers to her, but she's a goofball as well, and she's she's bloody funny. So and she's a very good dancer, and she's got all these funny moves. So, but something about the way we interacted allowed both of us to kind of release this kind of give each other permission to be goofballs, which is a part of our personality that is really real. And I just kind of, I love this idea of how do you allow somebody to be more of themselves? And I'm just going to throw that at you this week. I'm just going to leave you on that note of this whole idea of, I want you to think about that in your interaction with your world, with the people in your world over the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to come back to this in the next show. You know, maybe this will be my challenge. I want you to choose three people. Here we go. I'm doing it. I want you to choose three people in your life that you're going to call just, you know, your insider project. And what I mean by that is that a project that they don't know you're doing it. You're not going to tell them. But what you want to do is you want to find how you can allow them to be more of themselves. Now, I don't know what your answers are going to be. It's going to be the journey you need to figure out. But I'm just kind of curious to see what that means for you. And maybe if you do it, flick me an email, let me know how you get along, because I'm kind of curious to see what the answers are. Because it was interesting, Nikki and I had a really deep connection. You know, like, we only spent, you know, all together, probably 20 hours together in, in over five days. But I made a friend for life. Like, I really did. I made a friend, um, you know, and it's, in this world, I may never see her again. But if I do, I guarantee we'll connect just like that straight away. And there was something about each of us allowing each other just to be ourselves. So my project for you is to choose maybe one or two, three people who you're going to figure out how you allow them to be themselves when they're around you. Hmm, Interesting one, isn't it? So I look forward to hearing you get along. Um, that's today's show. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I will have an interview. I've got my wedding coming up. I've got a honeymoon after that. We're going to go to a place called Tikapo. And in the middle of the year, we're actually going to Europe. So for all my European listeners, I'll be coming out and check you guys out. And then um, we all go from there. So, you know, have a wonderful couple of weeks. I'm going to have a ring on my finger. If you like it, you better put a ring on it. And I, I love it. So I'm putting a ring on it. Not my finger, but my wife, my wife to be's finger. And uh, yeah, you guys have a good, good time. And I'll see you soon.